0: The following is a presentation of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Powered by Learfield. Welcome to Inside Eagle Nation, your official podcast for Georgia Southern Athletics.
1: Patrice's debut continues to impress. Four touchdown passes has just tied a Georgia Southern school record. It is 44-7.
0: Inside Eagle Nation is brought to you by Morris Bank. It pays to bank blue. Bud Light. Responsibility has its rewards. Enjoy responsibly. And by Savannah Hilton Head International Airport.
1: Shot fake to get around Anderson. The lane. There's another. Highlight reel. Doug. Check the rim check the bolt he almost ripped it off the backboard it's a game-by-game thing with Kamari Brown
0: Eagles fans this is your all-access pass to all things true blue it's time to take you inside Eagle Nation and as coach Russell will say you ain't seen nothing yet and now here's your host the voice of the Eagles Danny Reed
1: Eagle Nation, it's great to see you again. Episode 220 of the Inside Eagle Nation podcast. And man, do we have a lot to talk about this week. We begin this week by offering our congratulations to Jarek McKinnon, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl winning team from Sunday night out in Glendale, Arizona. Chiefs beat the Eagles 38-35 to on a last-second field goal, and Jet actually had a chance to score the game-winning touchdown inside of that final minute, but gave his body up at the two-yard line so the Chiefs could work off the final seconds of the clock and set up that field goal. What an honor, though, the third Eagle in history to win a Super Bowl. Fred Stokes did it with Washington. Earthwin Moreland did it with the Patriots. And now Jarek McKinnon, Super Bowl champion with the Kansas City Chiefs. I love the way that sounds. In the first of a series of interviews honoring Black History Month, we'll visit with Charlie Gibbons a little bit later on, one of the first black athletes to play at Georgia Southern and the first black coach in the history of Georgia Southern athletics. And with the start of baseball season this weekend, we'll sit down with head coach Rodney Hennon who begins his 24th season in Statesboro tying the longest tenure in program history. But we'll start this week with Georgia Southern Men's Golf which for the 22nd consecutive year at the Gator Invitational hosted by the University of Florida and an outstanding showing for men's golf finishing second in the event. Mason Williams actually tied for first at 11 under par went to a playoff with Florida's Ricky Castillo. He did win the playoff to take home medalist honors but what a way to begin the spring season against a Florida team that was as high as number eight in the country Georgia Southern is a team posting its second-best finish in the history of the event. They won the Gator Invitational back in 1980, but, man, that's a heck of a way to get it going for the spring season. They'll be next up at the Colleton River Collegiate March 6th and 7th, hosted by Michigan State at Colleton River Club in Bluffton, South Carolina. Women's golf also got started at the FAU Paradise Invitational in Boca Raton. Abby Newton led the way for the Eagles with a plus-five. They'll be next up at the Reynolds-Lake-Oconee Invitational hosted by Mercer on Friday through Sunday. That'll be at Great Waters in Eatonton. Track and field continued to break records at the Sanford Bulldogs Open last weekend. Devine Parker won the 60-meter dash and posted the second-best time in program history with a 7.5-second performance. Scovia Iacoru set the school record of the 400-meter with a 54.43, and Kennedy Hood finished second in the long jump, also posted the fifth-best score in program history. They'll now get ready for the Sunbelt indoor championships that begin next tuesday right back in birmingham at the crossplex georgia southern softball took its place in the circle last weekend with a pair of games against lehigh and alabama at the easton leadoff classic in tuscaloosa unfortunately for softball they began the season with an 0-4 record but are back home for the next 11 games it'll start this weekend as part of Bash in the borough five games over the weekend at eagle field they'll get long island and Bryant on Friday, Bryant and Radford on Saturday, and finish up with Long Island on Sunday. And keep in mind, the following Wednesday, a midweek matchup against the University of South Carolina over at Eagle Field. That's a 6 p.m. first pitch. That will be the annual whiteout. Preseason polls coming out for Sunbelt Conference Baseball. Second straight year, the Georgia Southern was picked to finish second in the league, tied with Texas State. Just percentage points behind pace-setting Southern Miss, who is a consensus top 25 team. For the Eagles, three with preseason all-conference laurels, including preseason player of the year Noah Ledford. First time in Sunbelt play that the Eagles have garnered a preseason player of the year honor. Ledford, an amazing season in 2022, at 348 with 17 home runs, 70 RBIs, also 19 doubles, most by an Eagle since 2012. Jesse Sherrill, after a first-team All-League selection last year, preseason All-League pick this year at second base, and third baseman Jared Brown, who enters his third full year as a starter, he's a preseason all-league pick as well. And like we've been previewing for weeks, Georgia Southern Baseball finally begins the season against West Virginia Friday for a 6.30 first pitch over at J.I. Clement Stadium. 6 p.m. airtime as Terry Harvin will have a call for you on opening night just off of Fair Road. Saturday at 2 o'clock will be internet only, and then Sunday at 1 p.m. is back on the full network with the airtime of 12.30 for the Cutwater Spirits on Deck Circle. And as we said, we'll talk with Head Coach Rodney Hennon a little bit later on in this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation. Going into Last week, only six games left in the basketball regular season for Georgia Southern's women. Four of those were going to be on the road. It began on Thursday in Norfolk, Virginia, against the Old Dominion Monarchs. ODU ends up sweeping the season series with a 67 to 50 victory as Georgia Southern shot just 29 percent from the field. Though Taya Gibson individually stood out with 14 points and eight rebounds. Revenge was still on the mind for a Saturday afternoon matchup in Boone, North Carolina, against rival Appalachian State, and the Eagles got it done to the tune of an 84 to 73 victory giving head coach Anita Howard her 200th career win. Taryn Ward recorded her eighth double-double of the season with 19 points and 10 rebounds. She also had a career-high four blocked shots and contributed five assists, and two steals. Double-doubles as well for Taya Gibson, 15 points, 10 boards, and Eden Johnson had 13 points and 10 rebounds as the Eagles dominated on the glass to the tune of 50 to 37 to get some revenge on those Mountaineers. They ended the weekend with a 16-7 record, 8-6 in conference play. They'll play their final two home games of the regular season this weekend. Thursday at 6 p.m. against the Marshall Thundering Herd, a team the Eagles beat in Huntington earlier this season. That'll be women's basketball's diversity, equity, and inclusion night and Black History Night inside Hanner Fieldhouse. Again, a 6 p.m. tip for the Eagles and the Thundering Herd. And Saturday at 2 p.m., the final home game against Coastal Carolina. Georgia Southern will be hosting Senior Day. That'll be the Pack the House in Pink game to honor breast cancer survivors and promote breast cancer awareness. And the Little Eagles Clinic will take place following the conclusion of that 2 p.m. tip against the Clears. You can still register in advance by going to gseagles.com slash WBB Clinic with a registration and waiver form to be filled out, or you can wait until after the game on Saturday for the Little Eagles Clinic inside Hanner Fieldhouse. Men's basketball came into the weekend badly needing to snap that four-game losing streak, but the only problem was the team that they were playing, James Madison, was one of the league's hottest squads. Four consecutive wins. They had won six of the last seven since defeating the Eagles in Harrisonburg back in January. And oh, by the way, it was Mark Byneton's return to Statesboro, where he was the head coach for seven seasons. Georgia Southern, though, built a 14-point first-half lead, and despite JMU coming back to take a one-point lead early in that second half, Georgia Southern got an ensuing three from Tyron Moore, never resurrendered the lead as part of a 76-73 victory over James Madison for one of the top victories in the 2023 campaign. Andre Saversoff recorded his second straight double-double, tying a career high with 22 points, also grabbed 10 rebounds and dished out a season-high four assists. But Jalen Finch is who we focused on during the Ford Locker Room wrap-up. Season-high 18 points, six rebounds, three of those on the offensive end, seven assists, only one turnover, and three steals as Georgia Southern picked up a monumental victory against the Dukes.
2: I just you know try to be aggressive, uh, try to make the right plays, the best decisions that I can for my team. You know, they trust me a lot
1: down the stretch, so I just try to make the, go ahead and try to make the right play. During the four-game losing streak on the road, three times you guys had built double-digit leads only to see them go away. It did again tonight, but right after they took the lead, you guys made another run to get it right back. What was the important part of being able to go right back at them to retake the lead? Um,
2: the important part, I think, was just you know, staying confident, staying poised, and uh, you know, just trusting in each other. Um, I think down the stretch um, on the last few games that um, we kind of like lost our poise. And we just wanted to harp on that today, just keep poised and stay confident.
1: You know, there's a lot of times late in these games where the possessions are long and it seems like it's you dribbling for about 25 or <laughs> 30 seconds knowing that they're going to be coming at you. How do you stay poised yourself knowing that the defense is locked on you?
2: Um, it's, it just give give me a – Dribbling at the top of the key, you know, um getting a shot later at the clock just just um, you know, makes me keep poise and uh lets me see what the defense or coverage is. So,
1: you know, I just take my time honestly and uh, you know, just go ahead and make a play when I can. I know Coach Berg always tells you guys the most important thing in any Division I game is rebounding. You out-rebounded the Dukes 43-33, to but 18 assists tonight, that's the most you've had against a Division I team this season. We already mentioned that you had seven, especially in the first half. It seemed like you guys were passing the ball really well as there was that space down low.
2: Yeah, we, um, we shot the ball uh, really well uh, throughout the game. I think first half we had 13 assists as a team. Yep, And um, like you said, it was one of our highest assists. Was it the highest assist that we Against had? Against the D1 season? team, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we would just hop on, you know, being unselfish. Um, we play really well when
1: everybody's unselfish. You had to sit for seven minutes early in the second half after you picked up your third foul, but when you came back in with 12 minutes left, you didn't leave the game again. Did it feel like you were playing with a little bit more after having to sit? Um, no, not really. I, I was in foul trouble early, so, you know, I was the
2: good thing about it was I was able to rest my legs and <laughs> able to, you know, finish the game out, so... Um, it ended up working out pretty well.
1: Head coach Brian Berg also joined the Ford locker room wrap up as the Eagles finally put together a full 40 minutes in conference play to break the four game skid.
2: Well, I think you look back
3: at the first half, we were extremely unselfish. We had 13 assists in yeah. the first half, ball was moving. We played really aggressive. I thought we did some good things in transition. And then in the second half, we got punched in the mouth. We were able to respond. You know, I think at one point they went up one and we had the ability to be able to respond during that time period. Some guys made some key plays. Wasn't always with the baskets. It was some winning plays. I thought Johnny McFadden's dive uh, right around the timeline on the other end was a phenomenal play. It's a winning play. He's been bringing that all year long. and uh, Really big plays that guys stepped up and, made throughout this game.
1: Yeah, if there were two things specifically in that first half, you brought up the assists. 13 of the 18 came in the first half. We talked about it with Jalen, the 18 assists are the most you've had against a Division One team this year, but it's those 50-50 balls, whether it's defense, the extra shots. I talked with Andre about the third shot on the offensive rebounds. He had one in each half. He had the and one late to restretch the lead back to five. And just like you said, being able to make winning plays and playing winning basketball.
3: Yeah, Danny, we were able to rebound tonight too. You know, our magic formula is if you out-rebound your opponent, it's going to give you a really good chance to win. I uh, wish we could have kept uh, taken care of the ball a little bit more, 14 turnovers. But uh, all in all, I thought the guys competed. Even in times of adversity, they made winning plays, got punched in the mouth, and were able to handle the adversity. So I thought Finch's floor game was really good tonight. Yeah. You know, having the ability not only to score the ball but also seven assists. And then, uh, you know,
1: Andre's play in regards to rebounding with five offensive rebounds. Maybe the hidden part of this game Jalen did have to sit seven minutes early in the second half after he picked up that third foul, but the number of minutes that Derek Harris gave you with four personal fouls that was that was a pretty remarkable part of this game too
3: yeah man he mixed it up today you know he got real physical and I was really glad to see that hey, I thought he had some really quality minutes um, and then also you know Archie having the ability to come in. Defend at a high level and then also make some winning plays as well. That block in the second half was a phenomenal play. But it's college basketball, Danny. Peacock one day, Feather
1: Duster the next. Ryan Berg is never won one to mince words as Georgia Southern had to quickly turn the page for Saturday afternoon against Arkansas State, had not seen the Red Wolves since January 1st of 2022, and the Eagles led almost the entire game, coming out with a 68-53 victory over the Red Wolves, who dropped a 2-12 in conference play. The Eagles scored the first 13 points of the second half, ended up with an 18-1 run out of the locker room to put the game out of reach, and one more time, it was Andre Saversoff. This time, it was a career-high 24 points, career-high tying 12 rebounds for his third consecutive double-double becoming the first eagle to accomplish that since Matthew Fields back in 2008. He was our guest on the Ford Locker Room wrap up as the Eagles finished a perfect weekend in Statesboro.
4: My teammates trusted in me, you know, they were trying to find find me in certain moments, certain situations. I was trying to play team basketball and I, I just let game flow. I Wasn't trying to force anything, you know, and with God's help I I was able to play the way I did today and help team win.
1: One of the things that will get hidden with these last two box scores, you had six assists in these two games. So for somebody that scored a combined 46 points to still share the basketball like you did, what did it take to have the offense go so well?
4: It's not so hard for me in terms of, like, finding my open teammates. You know, I feel like whenever I'm I'm on the block or on a three-point line and then every time I see a little help, you know, I don't know, backside help from, from other guys, I'm trying to find my teammates and get them an open shot or get them an open layup. Just trying to play simple like Coach Schumann always
1: says. (laughs) I've known you for about three years now. I don't know you to be too razzle-dazzle, but that reverse dunk in the first half was pretty sweet. What were you thinking when you pulled that off? Uh,
4: Well, I said if I get a chance again to run a fast break by myself, I need to do it at least one time (laughs) in my college career. So, well, today I had a chance again, thank to God.
1: They scored the last six points of the first half, and it was just a 30 to 24 game. But you guys just, just erupted out of the locker room. It was an 18 one run to begin the second half. What was the key?
4: We just had to come out aggressive. We didn't. We, we finished our first half really bad. Led uh, Arkansas State have a, like a little run towards the end of the first half, so we had to come out and be more aggressive, bring a little bit more energy than we did in the end of the first half, and I think we did a great job. Proud of our team, proud of our guys, you know, for what we did in the, in the second half, because usually second half, it's when we'll face a little bit of obstacles, you know, throughout the season, but today we were, I feel like we were really great in the second half.
1: You followed four straight losses with back-to-back wins, so how do these experiences help prepare you guys to go back on the road next weekend for the last two?
4: After these two good wins, we had to... Keep building on it, you know, don't stop, keep keep adding to our game because we, we're we going to have two great opponents, you know, one of the be- two, probably one of the best teams in Sunbelt and yeah, like we just got to keep adding on, you know,
1: playoff momentum that we have right now and keep working hard and stay together as a team. Final two road games of the regular season. It's an absolute bear of a trip for Georgia Southern heading to Huntington, West Virginia on Thursday night. They will battle the Marshall Thundering Herd looking to sweep the season series from Marshall, though the Herd has won nine of its last 11 since falling in Statesboro 81-76 in the third game of conference play. 7 p.m. tip inside the Cam Henderson Center will be on at 6.30 with the Cutwater Spirits countdown at tip-off. And then Saturday afternoon, a lot of travel to get to Hattiesburg, Mississippi for the first Sunbelt matchup between Georgia Southern and at this point first place Southern Miss. They were 2-0 last weekend, beating Louisiana on Thursday and ULM on Saturday, while the Cajuns also fell on Saturday to go two full games out of first place. So in theory, Southern Miss could clinch the regular season championship with a victory and a Cajun loss on Thursday night. That's a one o'clock Eastern tip on Saturday from Reed Green Coliseum will be on the air at 1230 with the Cutwater Spirits countdown to tip off. After this timeout, an in-depth conversation honoring Black History Month with former Eagle basketball standout and former coach Charlie Gibbons. You're listening to Inside Eagle Nation. Georgia Southern Men's Basketball is hunting for its first Sun Belt Conference Championship. In Eagle Nation, we need you to pack Hanner Fieldhouse. The Eagles finish the home schedule on Wednesday, February 22nd against Coastal Carolina at 7 o'clock for Black History Night and Friday, February 24th against Appalachian State at 7 o'clock for Senior Night. For tickets, call 1-800-GSU-WINS or order online at gseagles.com slash tickets. Georgia Southern Basketball get your tickets now. Eagle Nation, in honor of Black History Month, we have the pleasure today of speaking with Charlie Gibbons, a name that you have heard quite a bit since he got here back in 1968, not only one of the first black student athletes to participate for the Eagles, but also the first black coach in any sport when he began as an assistant in 1973 with the men's basketball program. Charlie, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Coming to Statesboro from Josie High in Augusta, and that's an area that has been very kind to Georgia Southern athletics over many decades, but during that time, especially socially and figuring out how you wanted to continue your education, how did you ultimately settle on Georgia Southern?
5: It was a very interesting process. I was being recruited by a number of schools, and Georgia Southern was not the biggest one at that time. And uh, the idea of of going to a, a school in the South, a white school in the South, was not one that most friends and family members they were pulling for. I had an opportunity to um, be recruited by Southern Illinois University, which was only two years removed from within the NIT with Walt Frazier. Went out to Texas and visiting off Texas State and uh, other schools. Georgia Southern showed a lot of interest. That's one of the things. They, they showed a lot of interest. they were there at, at, at most of my games uh, during my senior year. When it came to making that decision, then there were a couple of things that I wanted to, to do. One of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to be able to visit the other schools because uh, I never traveled before. I had never flown an airplane before. Fly me out and, you know, and and entertain me. And that's what they did do. So one of the concerns we had, because I remember just the other past weekend, a couple of weekends ago, when we had the Round Balders activities club meeting during the um, Georgia Southern and Georgia State game, I had a chance to talk to my I had basketball coach at that time, which is Coach Frank Radovich, which is Dr. Radovich now. So he asked me, he said, do you remember that I came to your house and I said, Charlie, this is the third time that I've been here and we're not coming back again if I did sign. And I do remember that, but I still wanted to travel. So what we did was I agreed to sign if they would not release it until after I'd made my trips. I went to Illinois to visit, I went to North Texas State to visit. And I came back from North Texas State, and my school coach told me, he said, well, you have another school that's interested, and they want to fly you out there. And I said, who is that? They said, Indiana. And so I told Coach Radovich about it that weekend, that Saturday morning, I got up in the paper, and it was said, Charlie Gibbons signed with Georgia Southern. So much for that visit. Coach Radovich had played at Indiana, and I don't think he wanted me to make that trip out there. But the thing that really led me to sign with Georgia Southern, there were two factors, one, was being closer to home. I had an older brother, a year older than me, who had gone out to Minnesota. He was playing out at Virginia College there, and that meant that if I had taken that trip to go, off, uh, decision to go a long way from home, there would been no one closer to home if it was needed, because I had my mom and my sister there, and I didn't want to get too far away from them. Uh, so that was one of the factors. The other factor was uh, you got to remember this is 1968. A lot of social changes are being made. Uh, in the country. Dr. King has always been my hero. And so I thought that it was important for me to make that decision to go to Georgia Southern. No other uh, Black athlete had gone to a Southern school at that time, except for, I think, Wallace at Vanderbilt was the only one. And no one in Georgia from Augusta had done that. And Georgia Southern was opening the door. They were trying to make, in my opinion, to uh, make some changes. And I wanted to be a part of that change. And so that's why I decided to come to Georgia Southern.
1: Right around that time, it was you, it was Roger Moore, it was Gene Brown, the three of you kind of credited with basically breaking that barrier at Georgia Southern in terms of athletics. But did you guys realize the kind of history that you were making when you were making it? The
5: reality of it is, is that Roger and Gene, and there was another guy named Marvin Steven. During that time in 67, the Savannah teams decided to integrate the athletic competition. So they were involved in what we call the, what we know now as the Georgia High School Association. The other black schools stayed in a GIA conference and we were part of the GIA. So in 67, we won the state championship in GIA. Beach High School from Savannah, which had Roger and Gene, they won that championship. And then a guy named Marvin Stevens played for a school called Springfield High School. They were GIA, but we were class double A, and they were class A, and then they won that championship. So this is 67. Uh, I finished in 68. They recruited Roger, Gene, and Marvin in 67 to come to Georgia Southern. Talking to Coach Radovich, I asked him uh, about that recruitment process. I said, well, why did you, how did that all get started to to make that decision? He said, I just decided that, um, that something needed to be done. I wanted to do this. And this was his first year as head coach. Coach Scarce had previously been there, so it's his first year as head coach. And so he said, I went to uh, Dr. Henderson, which was the president at that time, and asked him about bringing in black athletes. And he said, remember the rule of three, that it could be no more than three. And so he brought in three. Well, Marvin Stevens didn't stay. So this was 67. So the next year I came, which was 68, which again made it three. That started the whole process, and it was completely different. you got to remember that I'm coming from an all-Black setting. There was no integration taking place at that time. As far as the schools in Augusta, we had just started to integrate the athletic programs as far as competition playing against one another. I finished high school on a Friday night. On a Wednesday morning, I was on Georgia Southern Campus. I remember walking into the classroom, my first classroom, which was a history class. It was completely different, all-White setting. It was interesting because I look around, looked at the students. I said to myself, you know what? All these people in this class must be related because they all look alike. Um, and, and and what I learned over time, no, they did not look alike. It was just that I had, had not been around white students. It was my first opportunity. My challenge was not if I can compete on the athletic floor in basketball, because I knew I could, but could I compete in the classroom? That was my challenge. And so um, we got started and um, that was my awakening as it turned out when we had our first exam and I got my school back and, and I think I made a 75 on the first test, but I looked around the classroom and and I saw some students making less than my score and I said, you know what, I might be able to do this. So it was, it was, it was very interesting.
1: Coach Radovich is who brought you here, but you had to deal with a coaching change to finish up your career. Considering the climate at that time, what were the inherent challenges of that and trying to get used to almost a new set of circumstances?
5: The good thing is that the uh, coach that they they replaced, Coach Radovich, was Coach J.E. Rowling, which was an assistant there, and who had been part of their recruitment process that transition from one coach to the other coach was good. That was no, we, we didn't have any problems as as players with that part of it. They were d- two different coaches. Coach Radovich was a much more, maybe we used to were authoritarian type of coach, physically demanding from that perspective. And, uh, and, and Coach Rowe was not both excellent coaches in their own way. I was blessed from that perspective to have two college coaches that I thought a lot of and had a lot of respect for. But during that time with, with Roger and Gene, I came That summer, Roger was my roommate and they were trying to maybe get Roger through. Uh, school from that perspective as it turned out after only one year with roger he uh, flunked out and so therefore things started to change for us because roger was our what we call our big eagle he's only i only only had a chance to play with him just that really it was my my sophomore year that i really played with him and then uh, he flunked out with changed things for us because we thought we were going to be able to compete for a national championship since we had fallen short the, the year before but that changed everything
1: that 1969 season, you made some natural history by being part of the first team that played at Hanner Fieldhouse. You had a chance to come back and see how much had changed in the last 54 years. But what do you recall about those first few experiences playing inside what was a new and revolutionary Hanner Fieldhouse at the time?
5: It was. And, and during the recruitment process, they you know, showed us around. There were, there were two of us that recruited that year, myself and another young man named Steve Melton. They brought us in to to show us the new facility. We'll be playing in there and everything. And and really, at that time, the size seemed to be humongous. That floor, talking about a tartan floor, very unusual. And we were excited about that process. To come back now, 50 years later, to, to visit, to take a look at the facilities and things like that, same size but they made so many changes related to the seating and the coloring and all those kinds of things, um, which is very exciting to for players to be there, to, to be able to play in their facilities. But I heard that they were going to uh, rebuild another facility. That would be interesting. That year, 69, was uh, an interesting year. We started off not very well. We were 3-7 and seven at one point, trying to figure out what should be the lineup, how we should play people, so forth and so on. We finally got it right, and then we won 14 games in a row and end up losing the regional championship in order to right to go to Philadelphia to play in the Final Four.
1: You would have beaten Old Dominion in that Division II tournament in 1970, and then the transition from Division II, move on to NCAA status. And I look back at the victory over Kentucky State, and now you wouldn't think too much of that. But at the time, Kentucky State was the number one team in all of NAI. So that was one of the big first victories in Georgia Southern's transition during that time.
5: It was. You know, you're talking about playing against teams that uh, had one guy was a first round draft choice, which was uh, Elmore and Travis Grant, which was one of the leading scores in NCAA hit. I mean, in basketball college history, being able to win that one uh, was 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 a big boost for us. Uh, I remember the game very vividly. The coach had told me ahead of time, he said, now we get the ball. I want you to take the ball and stand at half court and just hold it. Uh, because Kentucky State played a zone most of the time, and they wanted to come out of the zone. So, you know, you're standing there with the ball on your arm and fans hollering at you, come on, Slim, let's play, don't stand there. And they finally decided to come out and play, and uh, we were able to beat them. It's time to
4: pack your bags because Savannah Hilton Head International offers nonstop flights to a variety of major cities, including Denver, Miami, New York City, Washington, D.C., Cincinnati, Cleveland, and many more eight airlines 26 nonstop destinations Savannah Hilton Head International the official airport of Georgia Southern Athletics see where the airport can take you at flysav.com
1: you ended up earning captain status during your time at Georgia Southern how much more meaning did that have for you at that time
5: it said a lot uh, for, for me to be elected by the players to be the team captain to be the leader The coaches told me when I came in there and when they were recruiting me, so we want you to be a part of change. And that is we're going to go from NAIA uh, to division one. We want you to be a part of that. As it turns out, uh, I'm the only player in Georgia Southern history to play at all three levels. I played NAIA, I played division two, and I played division one. That change I saw gradually because remember there's only three of us. My freshman year, my sophomore year, there are three of us. So my junior year, we recruited a guy named Daryl Humble, and two more guys, one named Johnny Mills, the other one named Richard Wallace. Brought those two guys in. So, And and it was another student uh, player that came with Richard from Springfield. His name was Tommy Palmer. Tommy didn't stay. Tommy played a year and and Tommy left. But we know the history of Richard and, and Johnny. We started from three, and now we have four and five. And one of the games during my senior year, I, I can't remember the team we were playing, but I remember the moment. Coach made the decision, and for the life of me, I cannot say whether it was accidental or was it on purpose. Knowing Coach Rowe, it was not accidental. And that is, we have five Black players on the court. Now, it's the first time in Georgia Southern history there were five Black players on the court at one time. Wow. That meant a lot to me. I recognize what had happened. I don't know if anyone else picked up on it and, and the importance of it. But coming from 68 to where we are now, that was a big change uh, that I was able to be a part of. And that was important.
1: To think back just a couple of years, Texas Western, the 66 season, they won the national championship over Kentucky with an all black starting lineup. 71, just the year before, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the first major league team to have an all black starting lineup. So to be part of that, that's an awesome thing to be able to reminisce on.
5: It was. My my senior year, there were four black players and, and uh, that started that year. Uh, of course, uh, myself, Mills, and Wallace, and another um, player named Daryl Humble. So we were the starting four. Which again, coming from 68 to where we now, where we were then, um, I saw change took place uh, during that time.
1: I'm going to get to your time as a coach in just a moment, but I want to talk for a minute about January 24th of 1972, when you guys played a game at Wisconsin Green Bay, and the rumor is that the wind chill was 60 degrees below. From somebody that was there, I, I got to get more of the story on that one.
5: You know what? That, I've told this story before to other people, where you play a game and you don't break a sweat. <laughs> You know, I will never forget that. We were, we were there in Green Bay. First, we went out to Lambeau Field, where we were staying, was close to it. They took us out there, and I just saw mountains mountain of snow. And That's so, awesome. My goodness. I said, and you know what? And that was one of the things that I decided when I was being recruited there, where I was not going. I was not going to some place where it was cold. And uh, I remember being recruited by a school called Augustana College in South Dakota. And I said immediately, no, guys, y'all don't need to waste your time because I am not going It's cold out there. And we played on top of – the floor was set down on top of the a hockey rink. I mean, we were cold the entire game. It was the most amazing thing uh, about that. But, yeah, that, we never will forget that, that trip.
1: You got married while you were at Georgia Southern as well. How did that all come about?
5: I got lucky. Uh, <laughs> one of the things about Georgia Southern – and they had told me that when I first got there, Roger and, uh, and Jean, and they said, to call it the suitcase college. It seems like the number of students doubled, but, but the important thing was there were students on campus. And so we were able to develop more of a student life from that perspective, from a social standpoint. And, um, that's when I met, uh, met my wife. We dated for a couple of years. And then my senior year, uh, we decided that we would get married and, and, uh, started our life there at Georgia Southern.
1: How did you find Statesboro and Bullock County at that time?
5: Things were changing. They were reaching out to be a part of that change. And so from my perspective, I didn't have any problems with that. The community as a whole, though, was still two separate communities, the African-American community and the white community. And there were no integrated communities as far as homes and things like that at that particular time. But things were gradually changing.
1: You were a history major at Georgia Southern, and you had a chance to spend time as a student teacher at Southeast Bullock in 1972, spent time as an assistant football coach to help prep you for what you would get back into with Georgia Southern. But what do you recall about that experience as a high school teacher and a high school football coach?
5: It was a very um, interesting as well as a very impactful experience for me as far as, as my life as a, as a teacher and a coach. Having the opportunity to uh, work with and under the guidance of Coach Fred Shaver was so, so eye-opening. The first year that Southeast Bullock won a state championship, that was that year. And I was part of that to see how you put it all together. For the next five years, even though I had left, I kept up with them they either want it or they played for it. And how do you put together a program? And so I learned a lot. It's not just just the athletes. It's it's about how you organize it. It's about how you arrange for development. And I learned a lot and I used that in, in my coaching uh, experiences and philosophy as this is how you build a program.
1: We mentioned it during the open, but Then it comes in 1973. Coach Rowe brings you on as an assistant coach. You worked with the JV program, which made its way back to, in essence, break another barrier. As someone who's still trying to figure out their life, what was your thought when you knew that you were the first black coach at Georgia Southern?
5: Trying to wrap my mind around all that that took place. I I knew I was not coming back to uh, Southeast Bullock. I wanted to do something maybe a little different. I didn't know what it was going to be. To have... uh, Coach Rowe to come and and to talk to me about that and make that offer. I was excited, apprehensive, all at the same time. I knew I was making history. I knew that this may be repeated, but I was the first to be a part of this process. And it said a lot to me that he thought enough of my abilities and potential abilities to do this. Having played with him, I thought that we had a good relationship as player-coach. This just sort of reestablished that whole concept related to player-coach. I didn't know quite how impactful it would be in the long run. I didn't know how people would react. But the Georgia Southern community was very positive. Uh, A lot of well-wishers from the Georgia Southern community and uh, also from the student body. I was very excited about that. And again, it was new For everyone else that we went out to play. I remember one of the games we went to play at uh, South Georgia Junior College at that time. Before the game, everybody's team's warming up. I'm standing there and the officials come over and they introduce themselves as they traditionally do. Except for when they came over, they passed me by and they went to my manager to shake his hand. And then my manager had to tell them, no, he's the coach. All of this is new. They had, this has never been done before. And so they came back and, and you know, we, we went on with that. Part. But I thought it was very interesting that the two of us standing there well-dressed, I am, I'm always well-dressed for the games. And they passed me right on by and went and talked to the, my manager, thinking that he was the head coach. Now that was a lot of getting used to as we went into different uh, school settings, junior colleges especially, and to see that the guy who's in charge of the opposing team is a black guy. And so they were making adjustments as well as I was making adjustments.
1: It's been nearly 50 years since that landmark time. But in the life that you have been able to lead, looking back on your experience at Georgia Southern, how has that fed everything that you've ever been a part of?
5: It has been so, not only impactful for me, but also to my wife, Gloria. We talk about this often, uh, about what Georgia Southern experience meant to us how much we grew from that experience. Because remember, coming from an all-Black setting, you, you're bringing in with you all of your biases, your beliefs, and all those kinds of things from the experiences that you have led and having coming from segregated communities from in Augusta to now an all-White setting, then what are those things we thought were true that may not be true? Having the chance to, as I said before, to uh, not only interact uh, as, as students, but also Gloria and I had the chance to interact with other faculty members in the physical education program, especially as well as some others in other programs that invited us into their homes and we got a chance to know them, got a chance to know their families, gave us a chance, as I said before, to maybe to unpackage some of those beliefs that we've had to understand that maybe we were we were wrong about this. It has shaped me as I've gone from Georgia Southern to Auburn and Montgomery over the years, um, to Alabama State where I am presently. But those experiences gave me a different viewpoint, a different outlook about people and how we need to see people as people and not to bring in with us all of the prejudices that we have. Not that those things don't exist. We recognize that they do exist. We've had experiences where those things do exist. I read re, a quick story. I remember my first um, summer there at Georgia Southern. I said it came during the summer. Roger and I and a friend of his named Dan Styles, a white guy named Dan Styles, We were sitting there talking in the room and they said to me, they said, well, you know, there are places where you can't eat. And I said, there's no such place you can't eat. This is 68. They changed the rules now. You can eat anywhere you want to. And they said, oh, no, you can't. And I said, where? And said, so they said, okay. They said, the uh, truck stop on 301. So you want to go see? I said, yeah, I, I got to go see this. I said, I don't believe it. Dan takes us out there. And so we walk into the truck stop, into the dining room. And all of a sudden, you feel all these eyes all over you. And so we go in, we sit. Finally, the waitress come to us. And she uh, takes Dan's order first. And then she looks at Roger, and, uh, and she looks at me, and she said, under her voice, we don't serve y'all in here. Got a place in the back. We just politely got up, and we walked out, because the point they were trying to make really hungry was that there was a place still. As much as laws and rules had changed, there were places where, no, people were still holding on to those uh, those beliefs, and that in time, it finally changed. But- At that time, it had not changed. The experience at Georgia Southern was life-changing for us because we would find ourselves, as we move forward in our adult lives, being in a lot of predominantly white settings and feeling very comfortable because of the experiences that we had had um, at Georgia Southern.
1: Charlie, it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
0: Thank you for inviting me. In 2022, Georgia Southern baseball took the next step. They found a way. For the first time since 1979 georgia
1: southern has taken a series on the road from a top 10 team
0: 41 victories and hosting an ncaa regional for the first time in program history get your tickets now for the 2023 season 30 home games at j.i clements call 1-800-GSU-WINS or visit gseagles.com slash tickets
1: inside eagle nation podcast continues the sun is rising, spring has arrived, Georgia Southern Baseball beginning this weekend, the 2023 season with the West Virginia Mountaineers coming to J.I. Clement Stadium Friday through Sunday off of a 41-win campaign in 2022. Have the pleasure now to speak with 24th-year head coach Rodney Hennon, and we've done this a lot, but to think that this begins your 24th season in Statesboro. Only one other guy has done that here, and that's Jack Stallings. Just from hearing that, what does that mean to you to be in that class?
6: It means a lot, Um, and and I've I've said this to a lot of people. I think it says a lot about Georgia Southern and this community. This is a special place, and for there to be two coaches in the last 48 years, I think says something about the kind of support that this program has received, you know, from the university and and, and from the community. So, uh, uh, always excited this time of the year with with opening day approaching and uh we're we're ready to go compete well not much has changed in terms
1: of the head coaching status there's a lot that's changed in this program in the last 18 months off of an amazing season with the multi-million dollar expansion of j.i clements but how have you seen the profile of this program elevate since the start of last year
6: you know, certainly it brought more attention to our program, uh, being able to, to host, you know, get that kind of exposure uh, on, on the national scene last year was a big step forward for our program and, uh, you know, created a lot of momentum, you know, heading into the summer and the off season this fall, a lot of excitement. You know, season ticket sales are up. I, I think we've sold over a 1,000 season tickets, which is a credit to, to Eagle Nation, and, and certainly we appreciate – that support. But at the same time, you know, you have to close the chapter on 2022 and and focus on the opportunity that we have here in 2023. And we've got a good nucleus of leaders on this team that were a part of that experience last year and I, I think have taken the positive things that helped us have that kind of success in 2022 and try to build upon that, but also identify areas in which we can improve and grow and and get better as a team. And, we got a group of kids that they go hard every day. They get effort. It, it's something they work at from back in the off season until, you know, the first day we got together in August. And they don't want to just get to a regional. They don't want to just host a regional. We want to take this program back to Omaha. That's a long way away when you talk about those things. But in order to make those big things happen, I, I think everybody here understands it's, it's what we do today. Staying present in the moment and just doing the things we have to do to get just a little bit better better every single day and hopefully you look up and at the end of the season you've gotten better as you go along. So you know a great opportunity against a really good West Virginia team to start the season. Uh, Always well coached, always uh, an athletic team and and probably a team that's got a little chip on their shoulder because they they felt like they were deserving of of being in a regional last year. I want to go back to the mindset that you just spoke of. It's one thing to be
1: able to establish that but how has the leadership that's been in place been able to
6: sustain that? You know, we've got a group of guys in the clubhouse that, you know, this is really important to them. It's an unselfish group and it's all about the team. We've got some guys that I think set a good example on, on a daily basis. And if they need to speak up and, and hold one another accountable, they're not afraid to do that. And, and that's, that's so important uh, that, it, that it's a player led team. And, you know, I, I, I think we have that in our clubhouse. You look around the diamond, and there are some notables that are gone. We talked about it in the fall, how you were going
1: to be able to replace guys like Christian Avant, Jason Swan, Austin Thompson. But to look out there and still see Jesse Sherrill at second base, we know that Noah Ledford's going to be back and forth with DH and playing first this year. Jared Brown looks to be due for a breakout campaign this year. J.P. Tig, it's hard to believe he's been here for five years now. But to still look out and see that you have so much coming back that's been through a lot here. What is that given to the rest of your program as they try to learn the way things get done here?
6: Those guys left a legacy here. I mean, those were some really good players, really good leaders. You know, we talk about that leadership. Well, you know, they were a big part of that. They played a lot of games. And, and the good thing is we've got a, a core group again this year that I think kind of fall in that same mold that have played a lot of baseball games uh, at a high level during their careers here that – that understand uh, all the little things that are necessary to, to being successful. And so for our new players that, that we brought in to be able to uh, to fill in around that nucleus, I, I certainly think it helps those guys as they make the adjustment, whether it's moving up from the high school level uh, to this level or, or coming in from junior college to have a better, clear understanding of of what it takes to be successful and, and give them a level of comfort knowing they've got some veteran guys around them. A lot of our conversations at the end of last year were how the offense seemed
1: to dominate those last three weeks of the season, hitting close to 400 as a team, going into the NCAA Regional those last few weeks. You led the Sun Belt in hitting for the second straight year. How would you classify the character of this offense?
6: I think a lot of that will kind of unfold as, as we get going here, but I think we have the potential to do a lot of different things to score runs again this year. You know, some guys that can handle the bat and... And uh, you know, play small ball if if we need to, and and put guys in motion, and, and do some things to pressure the defense, and and steal some guys in the in the middle of the order that can drive the baseball and hit for some power at times. But at the end of the day, it's it's all about scoring runs. Uh, you know, it's not about batting average, it's not about home runs, it's it's getting runners across the plate, and you know whatever it takes to to do that. And 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 there again, those veteran guys that we have understand that, and I think they're willing to do whatever we need them to do in a given situation to to find a way to score.
1: Jesse, Cheryl, and Noah Ledford are bona fide all-conference guys, but if there's somebody that embodies whatever it takes on this team, it's got to be Sammy Blancato.
6: Sam's a, certainly a great example of a guy that uh, has earned everything he's gotten uh, during his time being a part of this program, you know, from being a red shirt back in the 2020 year, getting opportunities to play a little bit in, in 2021 and then to, to come on and, and be able to you know step in and, and be an everyday guy when he got his opportunity last year, when Parker beater was, was hurt there at, at Texas state again, worked for everything that he's gotten. He, he's gotten better every year that he's, that he's been in our program. and, you know he's a, he's a guy that kind of sets the tone uh, every day. Uh, you, you better be ready to work. <laughs> you know if you're out there in an outfield group with Sam Blancato, and you're working on defense, you better be willing to go as hard as he's going to go. And uh, again, it's uh, it's it's great to have that in your program.
0: Hello, welcome to another bank. Please just say what you need help with. Check
6: my balance.
0: I heard pay a bill. Is that correct? Uh.
6: When you bank in Morris Bank, you won't be greeted with an automated response system or wonder if you're just another account number. Because real relationships make community banking better. Morris Bank and Georgia Southern Football were built on the same blue-collar mentality. And in Morris Bank, blue isn't just a part of our ad campaign. It's a part of our DNA. Morris Bank is proud to be the season-presenting sponsor of Georgia Southern Football. Bleed blue, bank blue. Morris Bank, member FDIC. To
1: examining the pitching staff a little bit closer, a ton is back. A ton has been added. It looks to be a big strength going into the year. I know it starts with Ty Fisher after he led the league in ERA last year. Jay Thompson got that heavy workload. But it seems like Ben Johnson and Jalen Payton could take a big step forward too.
6: I think all those guys have continued to to progress. Ben and Jalen had had an opportunity to go pitch up in the Cape this past summer. I, I think that was a great experience for them, You know, an opportunity for, for them to continue to grow Grow and and develop and and I think come back with some confidence uh, when when they returned uh, in the fall and and all those guys I think have taken it upon themselves to take a little more of a leadership role. You know that's a good nucleus to to build around. We've got some talented newcomers that that will be able to uh, hopefully provide a few more options collectively and a little more depth overall with with our pitching staff this year. Now as always, early in the year you're still trying to figure out you know, which role's going to be best suited for guys. So there'll still be a little bit of that going on these, these first few weeks. But then some other guys, you know, I, I think Thomas Ross and, and Javon Ray uh, as well, two guys that saw some action last year, I, I, I think uh, have, have improved as well and, you know, are more confident pitchers heading into the season this year. Of those newcomers on the staff, I know Eagle Nation is looking
1: forward to seeing the presence that Jonah Milchuk brings at 6'8", 265. You can't miss him once he takes the hill, but somebody like a Mitchell Gross seems well-groomed to be able to step in out of the bullpen, but for Zach Harris to be named by D1 Baseball as the preseason freshman of the year, I know he was really impressive during that stint during the fall, but what could he potentially bring to his staff wherever you decide to slot him?
6: Zach's a talented young pitcher. I, I, I think he's shown a lot of maturity and, and poise for, for a freshman, just the way that he's gone about his business uh, since since he's been in our program. And, you know, certainly he's going to have an opportunity to be a big part of things this year. And, and like those other guys we mentioned, the whole key is just to continue to grow and develop and get better as you go, and I, I think Zach's made of the right stuff to where he's he's going to do what's necessary in order to always continue to learn and and improve and and, and get better. And I, I know he's looking forward, uh, like our other guys are, to uh, going out there and competing. When we visited back in the fall, we talked a little bit about what a new look Sun Belt was going
1: to consist of. But to see that there are seven of the fourteen teams in this league that have garner some kind of preseason ranking or preseason recognition, but to see the kind of attention they're getting in the preseason, that's something special.
6: I tell you, this is a, a really tough league, a challenge every year, and and it's it's fun to be a part of that. Just like here, you know, the things that we're trying to do, the commitment that is here to, to make our program better, you're seeing that at a lot of schools inside, inside the Sun Belt. A lot of really good coaches within our league and some very talented players uh, within our league. So I, I'm excited about this season for, for our conference and, and obviously the future of Sun Belt baseball.
1: When you speak about the investment, you've got to go back to the renovations that are planned for J.I. Clement Stadium. I know you revealed those on a larger scale that evening with the All-Stars just a couple of weeks ago, but to see the reaction of people when they get a look at what the future is going to be like here, what does that mean to you for someone that's already put in 23 years here?
6: It, it means a lot to me, but I think it means a lot to, to everybody that's been associated with this program, been a part of this program over the years the players that were here long before I was a part of Georgia Southern baseball. Um, it's taken the work of, of so many for a long time. And, uh, so I, I, think there's a sense of pride that everyone takes, uh, in that. And, uh, as, as we, we showed some of this to, to our players, you know, you, you kind of feel bad for those guys that are seniors and juniors, <laughs> that they probably won't be here to experience, but they're really excited about it. Because, again, I, I think anybody that played here, I mean, you look at the history of this program, we, we've really been fortunate. This program has won on a consistent basis for a long time. You know, winning a national championship under J.I. Clements, uh, you know, in 1962 and all those great teams that he had, Coach Polk, you know going to omaha in, in 73 and you know of course coach stallings uh i mean the the consistency uh that that he had over 24 years uh, the many great players that that he coached uh you know obviously the 90 team the team that stands out going to omaha so i really hope everybody has a real sense of pride in that because uh you know it's been uh, the hard work of so many that that's gone into this, and the fact that you know there's a commitment here from our administration and our community to to continue to try to move the the program forward. Uh, that means a lot to a lot of people.
1: And to know that Coach Stallings is about to go into the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. That that's a nice little touch to begin this season too.
6: Oh, it is. It is no question. It's pretty cool. Andrew Jones when he was here. You know, Andrew's going in. They're going in the same the same class actually, and. Uh, honestly, I was a little bit surprised Coach Stallings wasn't already in there, uh, but certainly we're we're really happy for for his family uh, to know that, uh, you know, he's getting that, that recognition uh, that is so well-deserved. It starts
1: Friday night, J.I. Clemens Stadium, start of at least a 56-game journey, 6.30 first pitch, Georgia Southern and the West Virginia Mountaineers. Coach, it's always a great time to be able to talk with you. Thank you so much, and good luck this year going forward. Thanks, Danny. Looking forward to it. Georgia Southern Baseball Head Coach Rodney Hennon. More Inside Eagle Nation right after this. You've
5: trained for this all year. Endless hours of cardio, conditioning, and weights. And now you are ready. Ready to trek back to your seat from the concession stand. Through the lines, lost fans, and that mascot who wants you to do a little dancey dance, all without spilling a drop of your ice cold Bud Light.
1: Welcome back to football sports fans. Sincere thank you to Charlie Gibbons and Roddy Hennon on this week's edition of the Inside Eagle Nation podcast. It is a packed schedule this weekend, folks. You've got softball beginning the whole portion of its schedule with five games as part of Bash at the Borough. On Friday, they'll play Long Island and Bryant. Saturday, they'll have Bryant and Radford. And Sunday, finishing up with Long Island, of course, weather permitting. Baseball starts the 2023 season with three games at J.I. Clement Stadium against the West Virginia Mountaineers. 6.30 Friday, 2 o'clock Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday. And on the court, women's basketball a pair of home games this weekend thursday at six o'clock against marshall saturday at 2 p.m for senior day and pack the house in pink for coastal men's basketball plays its final two road games at marshall on thursday at seven at southern miss on saturday at one thanks so much for tuning in this week i'm danny reed and we will talk to you next time right here on inside eagle nation
0: you've been listening to inside eagle nation powered by learfield the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics.